If you've been here, or maybe you haven't asked, but you walk in and you see this word, intentional, really big. Anybody who comes in for the first time, they'll ask me. I had some pastor friends here a couple weeks ago, and one of them was like, Pastor David, I need to know, man, what's up with intentional? I saw it in the lobby. I see it here. What, what, what is this, this, this word? And that was the word that the Lord put in our heart as we prayed for the year 2022. This was a year for 3W Church to be intentional and for us to be intentional. Intentional in what? In everything that we do. You know, they say that even a broken clock is right twice a day, but if you intentionally change the battery, it's going to keep rhythm, right? We need to be intentional because I can look at the broken clock in my room and be like, oh yeah, you know what? Twice a day it's right, or I can get a battery out, put it inside and have it keep time. Intentional. We need to be intentional in our walk with God. We need to be intentional in our relationship with our spouse. We need to be intentional in our relationship with our children. We need to be intentional. And one of the things that the Lord really stirred on me, and, and, and I would almost use the word rebuked me on, was that I had not, as the pastor of this church, been extra intentional on building what are the values. And I remember last year at one point, I sent a text message to a bunch of our leaders and people, and I was like, hey, who's three, if I were to ask you, who's 3W? Tell me in a word, what's 3W? Tell me what it thinks. And I got so many different answers. And I was like, that's is poor articulation. And so as we were sending time with the Lord this year, we were like, you know what? We're going to be intentional in talking about the values. What are the core values? And it's not we're going to do a series and hit it and miss it. No, we're going to, throughout the year, build on it. And we've covered, up to this point, five of our core values. One of the main ones is refill. I talk about that one all the time. We've got these little wristbands. We have some at the entrance. I've got some here. This wristband that says, Keep your tank full. On Tuesday, we had men's group, and after men's group, we went to have lunch because it was one of the guys' birthday, and we said, oh, let's go have lunch and celebrate, and, and, and we get there. We, uh, we didn't make the greatest choice for our bodies, but we went to Golden Corral, and um, it was good food. But we get down to Golden Corral, and, and two of the guys weren't there yet, and, and I called them. I was like, bro, did y'all get lost? And they're like, oh, we didn't have gas. So we had to stop and fill up the truck so we didn't have to push the truck. And I was like, remember, got to keep your tank full, right? Now, I'm not talking about your gas tank, although that's important. I'm talking about your tank. We do this through our devotions, spending time with God daily in worship, in prayer, in the word. You keep your tank full. You cannot wait you know, they talk about dehydration, and anybody in the medical profession can correct me, but uh, I, my understanding is that if you wait till you're thirsty, you waited too long. See, when you're working and sweating a lot and doing different things, you need to hydrate before your body says, I need it, because when you wait till you need it, it just might be too long, and sometimes that's the way we live life. Well, when I need it, God will be there but then we're cramping and we're hurting. So keep your tank full. If you want one, I'm out of here. But we have them all on the front. There's hundreds of them out there. Take one, get it, wear it, remind yourself, give it away to somebody. I can't tell you how many of these I've given away. I talked to somebody and I'm like, and they're like, I'm this and that. I was like, are you keeping your tank full? And I take it off. I was like, here you go. Keep your tank full. Remember it. Another one of our core values is refresh even in the busy seasons. 
And that's referring to the Sabbath. The Sabbath is your one day a week where you do not do whatever is your work. Whatever it is your thing that you do for work. I always say the example, Don retired a few years ago. He reminds everybody he's retired now. Doesn't have to set an alarm clock anymore. So he says to me one Sunday, Pastor, what am I supposed to do? I go get a job once a week. Go work somewhere because your, your Sabbath is to work. Just kidding. But one day a week, we need to set aside and cease from working what is our job and refill, spend extended time with God. And I say even in the busy season is the axiom or the way we remind you with it because the Lord in Scripture says that you are to keep the Sabbath even when you are in time of plowing and in time of harvest. Now, if you're a farmer, you know the busy time is when you're preparing the ground and when you're harvesting the crop. The months in between, the rain does the work. The other, you know, like you're not going in there and making holes. So why would God remind them, even when it's plow season and even when it's harvest season? Because we are, man, we're, we're, we're very easily, we'll say things like, oh, I'm too busy right now. I'm in a busy season. There is no such thing as a busy season to spend time with God. Another one of our values is to celebrate, honor the moment. What does that mean? Something happens, celebrate it. Something good happens, celebrate it. Write it down. And I talk to somebody, I talk to people all the time and, oh, I'm having this and, I, and this is my major encouragement. I tell people, get a notebook, write down the good things. And maybe you're dealing through a super hard season and the only good thing that you were able to write down that day is that you woke up and got out of bed. Celebrate it. Build on that. You know what's going to happen? The next day you're dealing with a circumstance, you go back and honor what God has started. You celebrate and you keep going forward. Another one of our values is generosity. We are generous with our giftings and our talents and our time. We're generous and go out of our way to be a blessing to people. And why? Just because. Why do we go out of our way to help somebody at the grocery store who's pushing a heavy cart and might not be able to carry the box of water? Just because I can. Why do I stop and do it? Just because. Why do you roll down your window and, and, and give something to a homeless person that's asking for food and, and, and you had a bag of chips and you gave them that? Why do we do that? Just because we can. We are generous with no strings attached just because. We talked about authenticity as one of our values. We keep it real, man. I hate fake. It's going to sound weird, but I am so glad I'm already married. I don't know how to cheat to figure out if, if the person is real or fake or put together. or You know, they do these things with people, and then they take all their makeup and the wig and all these things. I'm just like, that is false advertisement, right? But let's talk seriously now. Perhaps before you came to Jesus, did you have encounters with a fake Christian? Did you have encounters with somebody who's a Bible thumper but not a Bible liver? Did you have encounters with people who said one thing but did another? How about when we are still Christians? <laughs> it happens. We need to keep it real. Authentic relationships build. 
And today, I want to introduce one of our, another one of our values, our sixth value. We have seventh. I'm going to do the last one next month. But it's this. It's stewardship. Stewardship. One of our values is stewardship. And the way I want us to remember it is this. It all belongs to him. It all belongs to him. And so I have two definitions I want to share with you. The first one is stewardship. What is stewardship? Stewardship is the job of supervising or taking care of something. Stewardship is the job of supervising or taking care of something. And a steward, the person who does stewardship, is the person who manages another's money or property. We're managers here. And so I want to talk about some of the qualities of a good steward. Some of the qualities of a good steward. So go with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter number 18. We're going to go to Exodus chapter number 18. I was not even in study time. I was just spending time with God, and I felt the Lord lead me to this passage, and he just gave me this download on stewardship for this sermon. Now, Exodus 18, I'll give you a recap of what's taking place, okay? Children of Israel have left captivity in Babylon. Not Babylon, sorry, in Egypt. They'd been slaves for 400 years. They're out in the wilderness. Chapter 20 is where the Ten Commandments come in. In chapter 18, Jethro comes to check in on Moses, and he watches Moses work. And Moses, in the previous verses, Moses is there, and he's been all day from the moment he wakes up to the moment to sleep. He is telling people what to do. And, he's, and, and Jethro looks and says, this is not sustainable. And he looks at Moses in Exodus chapter 18, Verse number uh, 19, he says, listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God and you shall teach them the statues and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. This is what Jethro is starting to tell Moses. You're not stewarding the people well. They're only relying on you. Come on, parents, for a second. We got to teach our kids how to be self-reliant, right? Independent, how to write down their homework, how to, you know, in our home, if one of our kids forgot their homework, they've got to figure it out. Guess what? They've learned the responsibility factors. And that started like in second grade, not now that Abigail's in middle school. Somebody asked Patty the other day, you know, how is it that your kids are responsible? Well, we didn't start now. We started then. Samantha's in kindergarten. She prepares her book bag, her water bottle, and her lunchbox the night before, puts it next to the door. We're teaching responsibility. And Jethro looks at Moses and says, you're not doing a good job. Everybody's depending on you. So the first thing he actually tells Moses there is, you need to teach the people how to obey God. And then they bring you the difficult stuff. So he continues to, to bring it down. Verse 21 says, Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men. Say able men. Able men. 
such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of ten. Let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So this is what he says. You need to steward the people by empowering stewards to steward the people. Now watch. As pastor of 3W Church, another way of calling it is to say, I steward 3W Church. That means I steward the people. And part of my responsibility is to steward the people to learn how to hear God. And yes, if there's something that we need to come in agreement on, we do. But do you know that God wants to talk to you the same way that he talks to me? Like, I don't have a secret bat phone. God, it's me. Joel needs it. Let's go. You know, like, I don't have a secret bat phone. We all have the ability to hear God. Now, we're going to hear him based on the level of service you pay for. What do I mean by that? You don't buy God, but I'm using service as cell phone service, right? Sometimes you get a really, 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 really good deal, but the phone only works in four spots in Miami. What are we investing in our time with God? Because the more you invest with God, the easier it is to hear God. Now, what are some of the qualities that it pointed out here? They pointed out three qualities. The first one was men who fear God. You catch that? The second was it was men of truth. And the third was men who hate covetousness. So let's break down these three qualities in a good steward. Now, there's other qualities in stewardship, but these, are, these three qualities, I believe, are imperative. I've been telling you, I felt this download from God on this. You will not steward well if you do not revere or fear the Lord. Again, fear of God, it doesn't mean you are afraid of God. It means you respect and honor God. You are not and will not steward well if you practice in lying. How am I going to finagle this to come out on top? How am I going to do these things? If, if you think in the book of Luke, when Jesus talks about the unjust steward who want, he's, he's going to get fired for being a bad steward. And so he says, how am I going to be figured out? And he goes and he says, you owe me a hundred, write me 50. That's not honesty. It was shrewdness, but that was not the quality God is looking for. And this one is key, hating covetousness. What is covetousness? It is desiring that which belongs to someone else. As a matter of fact, two chapters later, it makes the top 10 list of the commandments. Thou shalt not covet. And if I am a steward, definition of steward, he who manages someone else's money or property. If I am managing what belongs to someone else, I will not do it well if the whole time I'm desiring what belongs to someone else. These are three qualities of a good steward. Fearing God, hating covetousness, and men of truth. Moses 
was trying to be the be-all, end-all for everyone, and he was reminded this doesn't work. Now, I want to highlight the part of able men. Again, the qualities, fearing God, men of truth, and who hate covenantists, but they had to have an ability, and their ability designated if they took care of 10, 50, hundreds, or thousands. Why, again, is one of the important qualities not having covetousness or hating covetousness? Because if I have the ability to manage 10, but I only focus on the guy that has 500s and why that is not fair, I will not manage my 10 well. But you can work on your ability to increase it. So watch, let, let, let's, let's get into this a little bit deeper. A steward is a manager. A steward is a manage. And he manages or she manages a good quality one in the fear of the Lord, in truth, and hating covetousness. So I want to talk a little bit about this difference, the difference between ownership and stewardship. There's a difference between ownership and stewardship. How many of you can agree with me that we are born selfish? Mine, 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 mine. I sound like the birds in Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 right? If you haven't seen Finding Nemo, you don't get the joke. That's okay. I got three little kids. It's one of the, it almost feels like it's one of the first things kids like to say with authority. Mine. Meal. We have to teach our kids to share, to give, to, it's one of the things we have to teach. Why? Because we're naturally selfish. So we then believe we own things. It's mine. It's my house. It's my car. It's my gift. It's my this. It's my that. And when you come to the Lord, that mind shift has to shift and understand it's not mine, it's God's. I just stored it. As a matter of fact, I, I would challenge you, and I'm going to prove it to you in Scripture, everything belongs to God. We are stewards of it. We manage that which actually belongs to God. So I'm going to read you two passages in Psalms. Go to Psalm chapter 24. Psalm chapter 24, then we're going to go to Psalm chapter 50. Psalm chapter 24, verse number 1. Look at what David writes here in Psalm 24, 1, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Remember, different men and, uh, wrote the Bible uh, in pen, or not in pen, but they penned the Bible, but the Holy Spirit inspired it. And David writes this, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness the world and those who dwell therein. Newsflash, you don't even own you. You belong to God. David is like, he's like, he understands it. We just finished the series on Heart After God, right? He's like, it ain't me. I don't even own me. It's yours. We'll go to Psalm 50 now. We're going to start in verse number 10. Psalm 50 Verse number 10 is, you know, he's writing on behalf of what God is saying. And, and this is what the Lord is saying here, right? Look, watch. Every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. 
I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all its fullness. A few verses before he's talking about, do you all think I delight in sacrifice and bulls and this and that? I don't need a cheeseburger. If I want it, I make it, right? Like that's what God is basically saying. It's all mine. The cattle of a thousand, the thousand cattle on a hill. The fullness of the earth, it's all mine. So I need us to understand something this morning. We are stewards. We are stewards. Belongs to God. So what are we to steward? We're going to spend a little time here in Matthew 25 now. Matthew chapter 25. It's a long passage. We're going to read it and break it down together, starting in verse number 14 of Matthew chapter 25. This is Jesus talking, and he says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on his journey. Now, let's remember Exodus chapter 18 for a second. Fear God. Men of truth hate covetousness, right? So these three guys, in the same way that Jethro told Moses, choose able men, they had an ability, and the person who owned it all, based on their ability, gave five, two, and one. It says in verse number 16, he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Now, let's put a little pause here for a second. I need us to understand that we will all one day give an account to the Lord on what he entrusted us to manage. Whether it be five, two, one, half, whatever it was that he entrusted into us, we are going to give an account. So accounting time came, and it says that, verse 20, who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of our Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things, and I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Now, I think that's very, very important. As a matter of fact, uh, media team, can you throw up verse number 21? Verse 21, leave it on the screen, and in your Bible, read verse number 23. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. They both got the same message because they both stewarded well what was in their ability. 
fear God, men of truth, hate covetousness. The guy with two didn't waste time figuring out why they gave another guy five. He stewarded what he had been given. And many times we do not have, not because of any other reason, that there is covetous in us and in us, there is not truth in us, and all we do is focus on, it's not fair that that person has this and I only have this. Manage what's in your ability well. Don't worry about what's in the other ones. Manage what you have been responsible to. First, I'm going to add to that a little bit. Stop trying to help the other person that's not managing their stuff well and in that time messing up what you're supposed to be managing. Because sometimes part of our poor stewardship is that we focus on helping someone else and don't do our job. Manage your stuff. Now comes time for the guy that was given one. And he says... Verse number 24, then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. He had fear of circumstance, of rejection, of loss, of losing, and all these different things. He didn't have fear of the Lord. It's what makes him a bad steward. He says, I was afraid, so I got the talent, and I hid your talent in the ground. Look, therefore, you have what is yours. We don't know. We can think about what was going through his head. That he, he definitely realized he didn't own it, but he wished he did. Because he's saying, if it was mine, I, think of what he's saying with what he's saying, right? He's saying, I know you're harsh. I know you're this. So I hid it in the ground because I was afraid. The underlying thing that he's saying is, if I didn't have fear, if it was mine, I would have treated it better. I would have had ownership. Right now, we're living in a time where what we promote and tell people is, take ownership of your job. Take ownership of your thing. And we are creating a society that even more thinks we own everything. We don't own it. We steward it. We steward it. So look at what the master says. His Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. Words I do not want to hear from God. You knew I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Now, I think it's an important thing to pause there for a second. Because if you remember what the servant said, he started his phrase by saying, I know you to be a hard man. Notice that the ruler does not acknowledge the lie that he said about him. He didn't say, I am harsh. He did acknowledge, I do reap where I don't. I don't know how the ruler did that. Maybe he went and he bought somebody else's field who already had planted it, and now I just harvest it. Right? I don't know what was going on there, but he did not acknowledge the lie that was spoken at first. But then he tells to him, you ought to, verse 27, you ought to have deposited my money, at very least, you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. In other words, 
When you read in between the lines here and you ask the Holy Spirit to teach you and show you, we could, I believe, firmly say, if he at least had said, I put it in the bank and got half a percent back, here is your 1.002 talent, he would have said, well done, you increased what I gave you. Because what the Lord was expecting was increase of good stewardship. He didn't give a better reward to the one that increased by five than to the one that increased by two because he didn't care. He just cared that it was managed well. And that's what stewardship is. When we understand it's God's, not ours. I'm going to manage it well. Then he says in verse 28, therefore, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast this unprofitable servant. Nothing was done with what I was given. That's why he's unprofitable. Cast him into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Church, stewardship. Qualities of a good steward will fear God. Walk in truth and hate covetousness. So I ask this question. What are we to steward? What are we to steward? And this is the answer. Everything. We steward everything because we don't own it. We steward it. I actually want you to say this morning with me, I am a steward. Again, I am a steward. We steward what has been entrusted to us. Now, let's talk for a few seconds about ability. You may start out being entrusted with tens and increase your ability by studying, preparing, doing your different things, and before you know it, you will be entrusted with 50 or with hundreds. But if you focus on what someone else has been entrusted and desire what they have, even what you have will be lost and squandered. Perhaps right now, you work as a dishwasher at Flanagan's. I don't know why I said that, but whatever. <laughs> and you get in there, and right now your job is every day cleaning plates. And you sit there and you pray and say, Lord, I'm going to steward this to the best of my ability. Lord, help me. And the Lord gives you a download as to how to better stagger the plates or prepare the things. And, and now they come in and they realize that whenever you're on shift... More plates get cleaned and more quality cleanliness. Like they're not sending back plates that have an encrusted piece of a rib. I send those back. Some people are like, just, I'll just pray over it. Nope, I send it back. And the manager comes and says, Mr. So-and-so, I have realized that when you do the plates... You're doing them better than all the other people. What's your secret? Well, this is what I do. You know what? I think I'm going to move you from washing plates to this position. You just grew in ability from 10 
to 50s, but you're never going to grow in ability to the higher things of stewardship if you don't steward well what you have now. So what are we to steward? And I'm going to talk about six different areas, six different things. The first one is the one you all were expecting when I said we were going to talk about stewardship. You got to steward your finances. The parable clearly says it was a sum of money that was being dealt with in this stewardship. Many of us are in situations where we are not because we did not make income, but because we mismanaged the income. Poor stewardship. So when we talk about stewarding our finances, the first thing we want to talk about is we need to start with the tithe. What is the tithe? The Bible says, I already told you, even you belong to God and I belong to God. Everything is his. The tithe, according to the scripture, is the 10% of whatever your increase is. And the Bible says it belongs to God. Oh, I don't believe in tithing because it's the law. It was in the law. Well, let me educate you on the Bible. The tithe predates the law by 1,500 years. 1,500 years before the law talks about tithing and returning to God what is his, Abraham gave 10%, a tithe, of all that he had gotten an increase from that battle to Melchizedek. The Bible says that the first fruits are God, because tithing is not just, oh, I give God 10. Many people who say, I can't afford to tithe, is because they wait till they're left over to return to God what was his. And what you wait to leave for last gets not enough. It actually goes first. 4,000 years before the institution of the law, Cain and Abel went to present fruits to God. The Bible says that Cain got of his basically leftovers of the field while Abel gave to him the best of his calves. God accepted Abel's offering, rejected Cain. Cain was so jealous and mad, he ends up killing his brother over it. So what is the first step in getting your finances in order and stewarding it well? Returning to God what is his. Many people have God's, belongs to God, in their bank account. They withhold it until I feel led. You don't feel led to obey. Prolonged or delayed obedience is not obedience. I know when I said stewardship, everybody thought that's the first thing I was going to talk about. And we talked a whole lot about what stewardship is before we're getting there. But it is. It is, it is God's. Now, if you've been here any matter of time or this is your first time here, you will notice we don't even actually take time to collect an offering or tithe in our church. Somebody asked me two weeks ago or three weeks ago, I was like, I have a tithe check. How do you give it here? I said, you know, it's funny. You're not the first person that tells me I don't know how to give. And, and I said, you know, you can drop it off in the mailbox. You say, we, 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 don't, we don't spend time picking up offering and trying to manipulate you into giving because you're either going to obey God or not. 
My job is to steward you. Now, our church is 11 years old, right, Patty? 11 years old? We just turned 11. Okay. For the first eight years of our church, I never once, not one single Sunday, taught on giving. Because of all of the hurts that I had experienced, even though I, bet I was a tither, I was taught to tithe. I, I started tithing in high school with my first little job. And I've always been a tither. And at so much so, we're, it, it, in our budget, <laughs> I tithe on the first of the month what's coming in for the month. I've gotten to that point. I always haven't been that, able to be that way, but I've been able to do my finances better. I, don't even, I want to return it to God before it comes into my paycheck. That's where I am. It took years of learning how to budget and not overspend and do all the different things that get us in bad holes. Been there, done that, all right? To be able to get to the place where I can say, you know what, I don't even want in my bank account what is coming that already belongs to God. And for eight years, I never taught on it. And then I read a book by Pastor Robert Morris called The Blessed Life. If you've never read it, I encourage you to read it. We probably have a dozen copies there. If you want one, I will give it to you. You don't even need to buy it. We will give it to you. Talk to me after church, we'll give it to you. And I wept in my office because the Lord rebuked me saying, you have not stewarded the people well because you have not taught them how to steward and give me what's mine. And we did a series where the first thing I did, you can look it up, you can watch the video, I repented to the congregation for never teaching this principle. I was stewarding wrong. Because of my own hurts and pains and seeing manipulation and giving and seeing all these different things of $2,000 for your year, 2,000 blessing and all this garbage that people manipulate Christians with. That irks me. But one thing I know for sure, they're going to give an account to God. So I, I'm no longer afraid of saying this is what the Bible says. It's on you to obey God or not. Why do some people say, well, I don't tithe. I believe in the tithe, but I don't, I, I don't know what the church is going to do with the money. Well, I want you to know something. <clears throat> At least in this church, I know very, very well that I'm going to have to give an account to God for whatever we did with it, which means I take it very, very serious in approving things or saying yes or no. And number two, even if we did something wrong with it, you didn't give it to us. You were returning to God what was his. The blessing's already there in your obedience. It's like I've never seen anybody not buy groceries at Publix because the CEO might have been mismanaging the funds. Well, I'm not buying that car because, you know, that dealer has too many dealers. But then we find with God excuses. Can I tell you why? Because there's a heart problem. There is an, I'm an owner of what I have problem, not a realization that I'm a steward of it. All right, pass the tithe, your finances. Listen, you cannot spend more than you make. I know this is like rock shattering, earth shattering news. If you make $1,000, you cannot spend $1,200. American Express lets you. Citibank lets you. MasterCard lets you. But God expects you not to. 
because stewardship is one leg, generosity is the other leg of having a life that is blessed by God. And you cannot be generous if you're not a good steward. I have a buddy that, that runs a business, and I ask him all the time, I'm like, Mr. Hey, so-and-so, you know, how are you doing? He's like, you know, how, are you, how do you build the people? I was like, do you know what the equipment costs you? Do you know? I was like, dude, like, you need to know what it costs so you can build people properly. You are mismanaging, and you're never going to grow. Lack of stewardship. Guys, we need to get our finances in order. Now let's shift gears. So I'm going to talk about six things. Let's talk about our body. Scripture says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the majority, I'm going to speak for America, the majority of Americans do not steward it very well. We have the highest rates of diabetes than ever in the history. We have the highest rate of heart disease than ever in history. We have the highest rates of obesity than ever in history. Why? Because we're not stewarding our bodies well. Yesterday, I was at a restaurant, and I walked in, and this couple recognized me, and they saw me, and they said, hi, Pastor David, and I said, hi. I started talking to them for a second, and I'm telling you, the first thing they said to me was like, you've lost a lot of weight. And I said, you're absolutely right. I lost 40 pounds. February of 2020 to June of 2020, I lost 40 pounds, and it wasn't because of COVID. I started before COVID happened. In February of 2020, I went to see my primary care doctor because I had been dealing with headaches, blood pressure was high, my knees were chronically hurt, I was in, and, and he looked at me and says, you're, you're, you're about 30, 40 pounds overweight. And everything flashed in front of me, right? Like, I was like, I have three girls, I want to walk them down the aisle, I want to play with my grandkids in 30 years, whatever number of time, the Lord, you know, whatever, you know, because they're little, they got time. They're going to go to college, they're going to get married, then if I don't take care of this, I will not be there. So I started changing the way I ate. I didn't give up anything. I still eat whatever I want to eat. I just started managing the time I ate, the time I spent before my last meal to my first meal, the next day, the number of carbohydrates that I would intake, depending on my activity. Like, you know, if I knew, I will eat more carbs on a Saturday than I would on regular days because I exert a lot of energy on Sunday morning. I think of that now. now you, you, people think it's funny, but I get home and it'll say, my watch will say, you worked out for X amount of minutes and I haven't been worked out. I was just preaching twice and worshiping. So I know that I'm going to exert more, so I manage it better. I am stewarding my body. Church, we need to steward our body, our health. We need to steward our family. My wife is God's, and he has entrusted her to me. I manage our relationship. I pastor my home. My children are entrusted to me by God. I said in first service, kind of jokingly, but it's almost as if all the churches in the world have conspired together to say that September is uh, conference month. This past September, last month, I, there, there's three different things that I enjoy going to or whatever, and one of them was Bethany, uh, 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 Bethany in, in um, 
Louisiana, Pastor Jonathan Stockstill, and they do a thing all the time. I go once or twice a year and hang out with them and learn and glean and fill. Um, Pastor Landon shot with Mercy Culture, one of my best friends, and they were having their first ever Mercy Culture conference. And the Gateway Conference, which we've been going to for like three or four years, and glean and learn and fill, and they were all within like eight days of each other or nine days. It was, it was crazy. And I had booked for all of them, right? And then I was like, I started talking to Patty. I was like, for Bethany Conference, I would have to leave on Monday. Conference starts Monday night. It's all day Tuesday. It's half day to Wednesday. Then I would come back on Thursday. But Mercy Culture Conference starts on Friday. So it actually probably just makes sense. I go from Louisiana over to Texas. And then when I get back from Mercy Culture Conference, that following Monday or Tuesday started the Gateway Conference with another conference that she was going to the following weekend. And, and I looked at this. And I was like, I'm going to be away from my family and kids for two weeks. Like, this, this, this doesn't work. So I, I said, Pastor Jose, you and your wife have never been able to go together to Bethany Conference. I'm sending you guys. Go receive, learn, glean, fill up so that you can lead Spanish campus well. I switched my, my Mercy Culture 1 to an online experience and was able to catch up through it. I did Gateway also online, and I ended up doing them all here and all this stuff because I cannot, I cannot afford to squander the time. And, and, and I remember my pastor, Pastor Joel, is in Texas uh, at the moment. He, he messaged me and says, hey, when do you arrive for, for, for Mercy Culture Conference? Let's go have lunch. And I said, hey, I'm not going to be able to go. And, and, he, and he, so he messaged me, what's going on? What happened? And I told him the thing. And he says, I am so proud of you. You are stewarding your family. I arranged my schedules to go watch my daughter run her meets. I arrange my schedule. Sometimes it means I have to work later, I have to work early, I have to do stuff, but it's important to me. Can I tell you what? I'm going to have to give an account to God for them. And this might upset some people, and I'm okay. Fine. Be mad. But I do nothing getting to heaven and saying, Lord, you used me and I stewarded the people in 3WL and look at what happened and my kids don't love Jesus because I wasn't around. I would not get a well done. Are we stewarding our families well? Are we setting aside time to date our spouse? Are we setting aside time to, to go on a date with your children? I take my girls on dates. I, I sit with them. I cuddle with them. I talk with them. We talk about these different, like, like, are we setting aside the time for it? Are we storting them well? Because they belong to God, not to us. Are we storting our mind? I'm going to go there. So put on your seatbelts. The brain is an organ. And there is nothing wrong with you seeing a licensed therapist, preferably a Christian one that was going to root you in the word of God to discuss and have conversations and talk because mental illness is real and mental health is important. We need to strip the stigma It's why I counsel with people. Some of you come meet with me and talk with me to get things off. Why? Because you're, you're carrying the weight. You need to. We, we, we cannot have this. It is a part of our body that we need to steward well. 
How do we steward it? What are we thinking about? What are we inputting? What are we doing? What are we, uh, are we Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, right? Are we thinking about what is good and pure and noble and true and praiseworthy? Is there anything that we should be praising? Is that what we're thinking about? What are we doing with our mind? Are we stewarding it well? How about our time? I don't have time to do this, but I go to sleep at 3 in the morning or 4 in the morning watching Netflix or playing video games with somebody in whatever, Texas or Georgia or another country. Nothing wrong with playing video games, as long as they're not bad video games. Nothing wrong with watching a movie. Nothing wrong with going to a sporting event. Nothing wrong with these things. But if that takes up all your time, so you're always fatigued and exhausted. If you're going to sleep at 3, 4 in the morning, you're never going to wake up on time to go get a good job, bro. It's just not going to happen. And if you do make it once, you're going to start getting there chronically late. Like, we need to adjust our time. Are we controlling our evening? What time are we going to sleep? Listen, parents, for a second, what time are you putting your kids to sleep? This whole thing that kids, oh, they go to sleep at 9.30, 10 o'clock. That means that then at that time, when you are already exhausted, is when you're going to try to speak with your spouse, you're giving them the leftover crumbs of a crumb of a crumb. Medically, your kids need at least eight hours of sleep, so they should be going to bed at a reasonable hours. Be a parent. Set the times and do it. I said you were going to put on your seatbelts. I hope you did. I am called to steward you. One thing is on a Friday night or at a grandparent's one day or, or, or in summertime, but man, we got to teach our kids order and routine and rhythm and teach them how to steward their time and steward their things. How about this? Our gifts. Look at this verse. It's going to come up on the screen. First Peter 4.10. First Peter 4.10. Look at what he writes there. As each one has received a gift, everybody say, I've received a gift. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If you have been gifted by God with organization, the Bible talks about the, 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 the gifting of, uh, of organization and, or whatnot, help somebody. If you've been gifted with being able to do X, Y, or Z, use it to advance the kingdom of God. What is the gifting and are we using it? We need to steward the gifts. Stewardship is what everything will rise or fall on. Are we stewarding our finances and our health? Are we stewarding our families and our time? Are we stewarding our mind and our thoughts? Are we stewarding our giftings and our talents? Are we stewarding it well? Because if we don't steward it well, we will not be able to increase and have more. Worship team, if you can come to the altar. Stewardship. What do we steward? Everything. Because it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. My family is God's. My house... It's God's, right? 
Like, you know what? If I don't pay the mortgage, <laughs> what would happen? It really belongs to the bank still. If I paid off the mortgage and I don't pay my property taxes, what happens? It belongs to the state or whoever paid the mortgage tax on it. And when I go to heaven, it's staying here. So watch. The Lord has gifted you and had blessed you with having a home. When's the last time you invited a coworker? Hey, come have dinner. I want to make dinner for you and, and, and just spend some time with you so you can t- tell them about Jesus. Are you using it for a small group? Are you using it, or, or, or is it just a museum for you to walk around in? Guys, everything we have, you have a car, it belongs to God. What does it hurt to give that person a ride? Now, there's a verse in Proverbs. I read it this morning. Actually, I'm going to read it out loud right now. I'm going to go to it. It's Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25, 17, look what it actually says. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, lest he become weary of you and hate you. In other words, use what the Lord has given you to be a blessing to others, but don't use that the God as being a blessing to other people to manipulate them into trying to do everything for you. You're going to get the wicked, lazy servant. Just being clear. But whatever God has entrusted in you, take it, And use it so that when you meet with the Lord and take an account, he will be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. This is what I felt in the Lord we needed to do. I felt we needed as we worship for for just a, a minute or two. Some of us perhaps have misstewarded certain things. Perhaps you've missorted. Perhaps like Moses, you've been trying to do everything. And this, was, this preaching was a Jethro moment. And I want you just to take a moment and, and get right with God. If, if you have not been stewarding your finances right, if you haven't been stewarding your family right, if you haven't been stewarding your health right, just take a moment and say, God, I, I understand. I don't own it. It's yours. And I'm sorry for not treating well what belonged to you. And, and I make covenant with you to steward it better, God. Whatever area it is for you, just take a moment and talk to God. And then we're going to pray together.